This morning's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord. A few weeks ago, we started a new series, and a new series, we're calling it The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And we've been saying that the hard sayings are like, are like uh, it's not like chocolate, where you take it into your mouth and it just melts and it goes down very smooth and very easy. Um, but it's all, like, it's all like hard candy. You take it in, and you can't just swallow it, otherwise you'd choke, uh, and you'd resent it. But you have to dwell on it a while. You have to suck on it a while so that you can savor the richness and the goodness of what's inside. And that's what it is, the hard sayings. These are passages throughout Scripture that we've read, maybe if you've grown up in the church, that you've read growing up, and you kind of overlooked in a way because a particular line you didn't really understand, so you kind of glossed over it and you focus on other parts of the text. And that's not the way Scripture was designed. We're desi- it's designed for us to absorb all of it in its entirety. And uh, this is a, a very uh, enigmatic passage because most of us tend to focus on the first five, five verses. We usually, most of us probably didn't even realize that verse 6 existed because it's confusing and it doesn't make any sense and it's easy to ignore because it's so short. But that's what we're going to focus on today because it is a hard saying and it helps us to understand the whole of the text. Verses 1 to 5, Jesus says, basically what is he saying? Don't judge. Don't condemn. That's what he says. But then he says in verse 6, he calls some people pigs and he calls some people dogs. So it's a seeming contradiction. You know, in a way he's kind of saying, don't judge people, you pig. You know, don't judge people, you dog. And in actuality, if you look at it that way, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But what's going on here is Jesus is telling us two parables, two mini parables, two different stories. And if you try to interpret them to mean at least a classical, traditional way that we've always read this text and interpreted it, uh, you know, you see it as like some people are so bad, some people are so hostile, you need to stay away from them. You can't judge them, you can't correct them, don't condemn them, just stay away from them, don't give them anything that's good about God. And that's a misunderstanding of this parable, but that's predominantly how people have understood it. We need to understand the nature of the parable. That seems like a very linear, straight way to understand this text, but if you really understand the purpose of the parable, the purpose of the parable was intended to shock the audience at that time. And so if you listen to it the way we just kind of explained it to me, then it would make sense. It would be logical. There would be no shock. Who are the followers during this time? This is a Sermon on the Mount. We're kind of approaching the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount, which means that it's Jesus' closest followers, his disciples. And Jesus is teaching them. And why does he call some people pigs? Why does he call some people dogs? He's talking, you know, pigs and dogs, they're actually domesticated animals. These aren't boars. These are pigs. They're domesticated. They can't survive outside the context of a farmer, a rancher. 
Dogs can't survive outside the context of its owner. So these are domesticated animals that are under the care of a shepherd. In other words, he's talking to the disciples. And Jesus is saying, you have animals under your care. Don't judge them. Don't condemn them. In this text, what's going on here, uh, towards verse 6, you're giving this animal something to eat. It's viable. It's something that's actually good for them. It's viable. You're giving them truth but they can't digest it. It's like pearls to them. They bite into it. They choke on it. It hurts them. And what do they do? Because it hurts them, they turn around, they attack you, and they bite you. That's what's going on. And why is it happening? Why are they biting you? It's because you are digestible. You are consumable. And Jesus really is saying here, don't be surprised if you're trying to feed somebody pearls, if you're trying to feed somebody truth, Don't be surprised if they turn on you. Don't be surprised if they attack you and bite you. In other words, he's not addressing, he's not condemning the pig. Jesus is not condemning the pig. He's not condemning the dog. He's not saying, don't give it to them. They don't deserve it. He's not condemning them. He's castigating the shepherd. He's castigating the disciples. He's castigating the people who follow him. And when you understand that, This text is going to open up to you. This text is going to open up in a way you had not seen before because Jesus is implying, he's directly telling us actually specific answers about the human condition. He's teaching us about ultimate reality. He's teaching us about truth. What's he saying? Verse 6. He's talking about what's on the inside. Our condition and our cure. That's verse 6. Our condition and our cure. And then if you go back then to verses 1 to 5, that's the application. It's very, very brief. He's talking about our care. The condition, the cure, and our caregiving, our care. First, you look at verse 6, the condition. If you notice, the animals here, they're, they're not mad because you fed them poison. They're not mad because you threw rocks at them. That's not what they're upset about. They're not mad because you've given them something that's below or beneath their ability to comprehend, but actually above their ability to understand and take in and consume and digest. The pig is expecting corn. The pig is expecting pea pods, but you gave them pearls. Now, we all know here as human beings, we know that pearls have immeasurable wealth. They have immeasurable value. But... Um, these animals, they can't comprehend it. You know, these animals, they don't, they don't understand it. They don't see, they don't have the capacity to value these things. Jesus is telling us something about the human condition. What he's saying is that we have a spiritual insensitivity. That's our routine state, a spiritual insensitivity. We're incapable of seeing. But actually, what he's saying is it goes beyond our blindness. Why? Why do we know that? Blindness is natural. You know, he's saying it's actually more profound than blindness, than spiritual blindness. When an animal sees a pearl, he's not blind. He sees the pearl just like you see the pearl. But they don't get it. They don't understand it. They can't comprehend it. In other words, they can't distinguish between what is really, really valuable, you know, and what is something that's just meant to be consumed and digested and shot out on the other end. That's basically what he's saying. Take eternity, for example. People have these strange ideas of the the eternal. Most people, they look at it and they say, you know, eternity is this ticket to go to a better place in life. They see it as something about tomorrow. But in actuality, Jesus is talking about the now. 
He's not just talking about tomorrow. He's talking about the here and now. Some people see eternity as ascending into a greater greatness. You know, I work my way up, I get to a certain point, you know, and then I ascend into a greatness. You know, and in actuality, you may get a little bit better, but it's not about that. Jesus is not talking about ascending to a greater greatness. He's talking about having a greater sensitivity, about eternity, about life about reality, about our perception of truth. That's what he's talking about. You know, the pig, it's not like he's not alive. The pig is alive. Dogs are alive. Human beings are alive. Human beings are very alive. But if you think, if a human being gets into a car accident and he's reduced to the level of a pig, and you hear about that, what do you say? You say, I'd rather not live life like that. That's what we say. None of us aspires to live like a pig. None of us, we say pigs are very intelligent animals, but none of us aspires to have the intelligence of a pig, right? We say, man, man, if, I, if my life was reduced to that, I'd rather be dead. It's a living death. I'd be half the man that I, or a quarter of the man that I thought I was. So what Jesus is talking about here when he's talking about pigs, when he's talking about dogs, he's talking about orders of life classes of life. For instance, if you have a plant, plants are alive. They actually sense reality. They have a a certain type of sense. They sense something about reality. You have heliotropic plants. That means that they can sense um, sunlight. You know, they can sense warmth, cold. You have phototropic plants. They can sense light. They have great sensitivity to light, or they don't have a sensitivity to light. But they have a sense about the world, about their environment around them. They don't have sight. They don't have he- uh, hearing. So when a lawnmower or a weed whacker starts to roar its way down the path, a plant has no sense of what's heading their direction. They have no idea. They just stand. They're just plants. They just sit there. That's what happens. Animals, on the other hand, they have a higher level of sensation. They can see. They can hear. They can touch. They can taste. They can smell. But they have no sense of justice. They have no sense of right and wrong. They have no sense of happiness or tragedy. They have no sense of cruelty or kindness. Only human beings have that ability. Only human beings have that. But if a human being lacks kindness, if a human being loses a sense of happiness or kindness, what do we say? We say, man, that person lives like an animal. That's what we say. And this is how we are. This is what Jesus says. This is how we are about eternity. It's similar to a pig looking at a pearl and saying, so what? I don't get it. That's what it's like. They reject it. Eternal life requires the next order of life. It requires the next order of life. It frames and shapes that next order of life for us. It's the final level of perception. It's the deepest level of perception. It's the deepest understanding of truth. It's our deepest understanding of reality. We can, through eternity, we can see all of reality unfold. Through eternity, we can process our now, our reality currently as it is, and see it unfold. There we can sense the presence of a holy God. There we can understand. Through eternity, through the eyes of eternity, we can, we can understand what it means to say that we, have the, we understand the sweetness of grace. We sense the value of the human soul. We sense the struggle, the battle when it comes to resisting sin. If you don't sense that, then when you hear 
where when you read scripture, it's just intellectual nonsense. It's just illogical. It's good words. It's nice words, but it's illogical. It doesn't affect you. It doesn't affect your reality, and as a result, we reject it. Eternal life. Therefore, it's a higher level of perception, and having it makes you fully, makes you wholly human. Now, Jesus says, we don't have the ability here to take in spiritual truth, to take in reality. What you need is not to become a better pig. That's not what he's saying. What you need is not to be a better dog or a better person. We need to be raised to a whole new order. We need to be a new creation. We need new life. That's what he's saying. This way, it's not just intellectual. You sense it. You know it. Otherwise, you're just a pig looking at a pearl, and you're saying, I hear your words, I see your words, so what? That's our condition. Jesus says that's our condition. Second point is, what's the cure? So how do you get from... How do you get beyond the dog's level of perception? How do you get beyond the level of a pig's perception? And, and here's the answer. We're going to unpack the answer, but here's the answer. You need to see the pearl for what it is. That's obviously the cure. You need to be able to see the, the pearl and see what it is that you have. You need to see the beauty of Christ, even if it seems illogical, even if it seems you know, unreasonable, even if, if, even if it looks like nonsense to you, you have to see the beauty of Christ. What's the pearl? What's it mean? Why the concept of the pearl? It seems like what Jesus is saying here is don't give good things to bad people. They don't deserve your love. They don't deserve, you know, my love or my mercy. They're just going to trample on you anyways. Is that what he's saying, really? That's not what he's saying here. The concept of the pearl comes up twice in the book of Matthew. First time in this passage, chapter 7. But the second time in chapter 13. In chapter 13, he tells two parables. And in the second parable, you read it in your call to worship, it says that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is like the pearl of great price. Here's a man. Here's the image of a man. He's fishing for oysters because he's looking for a pearl. Or he goes through a market and he finds this pearl of great price. It's got immeasurable worth and value. To everybody else, they see an oyster. To everybody else, they see a number of things, a number of pearls. But this man knows because he is a merchant and he sees this pearl of great price. And he's marveling at it. It's, he's, he basically sees this pearl, and I don't know how pearl merchants test the value of pearls. There must be some series of criteria. And he looks at it and he stops. And he starts to tremble. And his heart's starting to quiver because what he has in his hand is this amazing, beautiful, glorious thing. And he says, you know what? I can't put this thing, this beautiful, and lay away. He says, you know, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you everything that I've got. I'm going to give you everything that I own. I'm going to sacrifice everything that I value. I'm going to put it away. I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to give that to you for, in exchange for this pearl because this pearl is worth everything that I thought I was. That's what this merchant is. That's what he does. He sees the beauty of the pearl. He gives everything. He sells everything. And the, the pearl, Jesus says the pearl is the gospel. The pearl, the story of the pearl, he's talking about the power to heal all of life. Take everything that's broken in your life. He says the gospel has the power to heal everything that's broken. Take everything that you've lost at some point in your life that you've wept over. He says the gospel has the power to restore so you can find it. You'll get it back. 
One, take everything, every wrongdoing you've ever experienced in your life. The gospel has a way of overturning that wrong. It's the treasure. It's so valuable because it has got that power. He says, if you knew that what you had in your hand had that power, you'd give up everything to have it because it could restore all of you perfectly, wholly. It could help you to find everything that was once lost that you've grieved and mourned over. It's going to heal you. It's going to help you to find yourself. It's going to restore you. Now, then why is the pig unhappy? The pig is unhappy, and here's a key. The pig is unhappy because it's always hungry. It's got a belly to fill. But the pearl doesn't meet its immediate demand. That's why it's angry. That's why it bites you. The pearl doesn't fulfill its urgent need, what it thinks it needs right now. So the pearl has of no use to the pig. The pearl has no use to the pig. It's not useful in fulfilling the pig's hunger, the pig's immediate urgent hunger. It's similar to a person who inquires about Christianity and he asks, let me get this straight. So if I just pray and if I come to worship and if I obey and if I follow Jesus' example in order to get my prayers answered, in order to get enlightened, will he fulfill my agenda? Will he fulfill my purpose, my mission? Will my potential in life be reached if I just do those things? Will my options, will my freedom, will my joy increase as a result of me uh, coming to Jesus and praying to him and obeying him and following his, his, his demands or his laws or his commandments? This is how most of us come to Christianity, or this is how most of us reject Christianity at first. Why? Here's why the pig doesn't get the pearl. The natural human condition is to look at life religiously, through religious eyes. You don't get it. To not get it. We look at things through a religious grid, a religious context in our lives, the way the pig looks at the pearl. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Here's the religious grid. I need success. I need happiness. I need marriage in my life. I need a perfect life. I need perfect children. I need to have that uh, perfect-looking life that I've had in my mind since I was a child uh, because to be religious is to be perfect, is to, it's to feel worthy. You know, I need these things. Will Jesus be useful for me to get those things? That's the question that we're always asking. And if you've done that, and if you're doing that in your life, Jesus is just a pearl, and you're, don't be offended, just a pig. That's what's happening right now. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a story about Joshua. Joshua has taken over Moses' lead in, in, you know, in taking over the Israelites. And he's serving the land of Jericho because tomorrow he's going to go in. And he's serving the land, and he's obsessing. Joshua is your typical type A general. He's obsessing over the plans. And he's praying through his plans, and he's looking out, and he's trying to figure out, making sure everything is in its right order. And he lo- it says in the text in Joshua, in the book of Joshua, he looks up, he lifts up his eyes, and he's surveying the area that he's going to conquer. Do I have everything right? That's what he's asking himself. Do I have it together? Will God bless me? Because do I have it all together? He's so tightly wound, and lo and behold, in front of him, there is a huge man standing in front of him, and his sword is drawn. That's what it says. And Joshua 
asks a question. As the general, Joshua asks, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And this huge man with the sword drawn responds and says, no. No, that's his answer. No. He says, no, I am the commander of the Lord's army and I am come. That's what he says. Why does he say that? Why does the man respond that way? Joshua asks, are you for me or are you against me? That's basically what he's saying. Are you for me or are you for my enemies? And the man responds, you know what? No. I don't fit into either of those categories. Don't try to fit me into any of your categories. You know, what you're basically asking me is, am I useful? And I'm not about that. I will not be placed into those categories. You're asking if I'm useful. You're, you know, he says, I am the commander. I explode those categories. I serve the king. Do you serve the king? Do you serve the king? He says, you're a pig. That's what he's saying to Joshua. You're a pig. You don't get it. You may be thinking you've been on the bus for years and years and years, but you don't get it. You just want balance. You just want to make sure you've got it right. You know, you're just using me. Your view of God is just way too small. That's basically what he's saying. He says, you know what? I don't fit into any of these categories that you've, that you've placed, you know, in front of me. So I'm going to disturb you. Sometimes I'm going to offend you. I'm going to anger you sometimes. I'm going to frustrate you sometimes. The man says, don't ask me if I can get what you need. I am what you need. Don't ask me if I can get you success because I am success. Don't ask me if through me you can become more beautiful because I am beauty. Don't ask me if through me you can get more power because I am power. That's what he's saying. You want success? I am success. You want freedom? I am freedom. You want joy in your life? I am joy. You want potential in your life? I am potential. Anything apart from me and and your potential and your joy and your freedom and your success decreases. That's basically what he's saying. The pig looks at these things and doesn't understand, doesn't get it. The pig just wants to be a bigger pig. The dog just wants to be a bigger dog. The rich, they're never satisfied with what they've got. The greedy, they're never satisfied with what they've got. They always want more. They want more. You know why? Because they have a belly to fill. They have an urgent and immediate need, and they're using money to fill that need, and money doesn't fill that need, so what do they do? They continue to trample over other people, and as they trample over other people, you know, they get more money, and it still doesn't satiate them, so they continue on. They trample over other people. The vain, they're never satisfied with the way they look, never satisfied with the way they look. They want to be the prettiest. They want to be the sexiest, so what do they do? They trample over other people mentally, emotionally, They want to make sure that whoever they're trying to impress, that they are the prettiest, that they have the nicest figure, they want to make sure. And so they'll do all sorts of things, and they'll put down people and reject people to make sure that they are who they think they are. The powerful, the people with titles, they're never satisfied with their place in life. You know, it starts with getting the best grades. Then it starts with having the most friends. Then it starts with having the nicest and the best and the most growing business. You know, and it continues on. Some people... Some people transfer that and they want to have the best family or the largest family. Other people, they just want to conquer people through sex. That's what power does because they have a belly to fill, an appetite to fill, and they can't. And so they turn into, they're rendered a pig. They're rendered a dog. You know, um, Jesus says, you have to be new. 
Christians, they are so new that history has called them, they, they call it the new birth. Jesus calls it the new birth. It only happens when you stop looking at the pearl the way a pig looks at the pearl. That's the only way it happens. And more the way the man, that merchant, finds the pearl and looks at the pearl and realizes that it's worth everything that he's got, that's what it is. The pig says, you know, will Jesus give me more of what I want? The man says, I will give everything I have to get Jesus. The pig says, is Jesus useful? The man says, Jesus is beautiful. Jesus, he's captivated by the beauty of Jesus. He's fixed his eyes on Jesus. The pig says, give me. The man says, will you please take me? That's the difference. When Jesus becomes beautiful, he's not just instrumental in your life anymore. He's satisfying. It's satisfying just in having him. That's what it is. Just beholding Jesus is enough. It takes no energy, you know, to behold. A lot of people say, you know, I'm trying to see the beauty of Christ. You know, if you're trying to see the beauty of somebody, they're not beautiful to you. If you're trying to see the beauty of Christ, they're not beautiful to you. He's not beautiful to you. It doesn't take any energy to look at something and say, that is beautiful. That is is amazing. When you do that, when you're moved into Christ, when you're moved by his beauty, then you start to become a person. That's how you ascend from pig to person. You become a whole person, a fuller person again. You know, before you said, you know, I need Jesus to satisfy my desires. Now what you do is I come to Jesus because he is my satisfaction. Before you said, you know, um, I, I... need Jesus so that I can somehow use him to find a sense of worth through my other things. But really what you're doing is now you come to Jesus and you say, he is my worth. He is my greatness. Not as a means to success, but having Jesus is my success. Not a means to find a relationship. He is the only intimacy I need. Before, you know, you're just using God. You're just, you know, you're just using God by trying to be good so that you can be blessed. Now you're responding to him. Because he is the blessing. You're becoming a person. From a, you're going from a pig to a human being. So how does he become beautiful? That's the crux, right? How does he become beautiful to us? Jesus did exactly the opposite of how we often misinterpret this text. We misinterpret this text, again, if we go back and say, you know, before you read this text, you thought that what Jesus was saying is, don't judge people, don't condemn people, just stay away from them. That way you don't have to judge them. You don't have to condemn them anymore. Just stay away from them. They don't deserve scripture. They don't deserve, those people, they don't deserve my love. That's how we oftentimes interpret this text, at least verse six. But Jesus does the exact opposite of how we misinterpret it. Before his disciples, in the book of John, Jesus says, famous verse, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. That's what he says. He says, I am the truth. In other words, what he's saying is, I am the pearl. Freely offered, thrown out there to the pigs. That's what he says. I am the pearl. I I have immeasurable worth, and yet I am so plain that everybody's going to miss it. We've all missed it at some point in time in our lives. Everybody misses it. I'm so plain. And we didn't just miss it. We trampled on it. 
We didn't just trample on it. We choked on this truth. We disdained it because, you know, he doesn't fulfill our immediate desires, our immediate perceived needs, and our appetites. So we disdained him. We trampled on him. We rejected him. And he was trampled on. This beautiful, glorious, perfect person was trampled to death. That's Jesus. And on the cross, as he's dying, you know what he's doing? As he's dying, he's reciting the very words of Psalm chapter 22. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22, verse 1. That means that on the cross, in his suffering, as he's being spit on, as he's being rejected, as he's being trampled on, he was reflecting. He was doing his quiet time. That's what he was doing on the cross. He was reflecting on the whole Psalm, chapter 22. And you know what he's doing? What he's saying is, verse 12, he says, bulls have surrounded me. Verse 13, he says, lions are encircling me, ready to basically tear my flesh apart. In verse 16, he says, the dogs are barking. The dogs have encircled me. They're waiting to pounce on me. They're waiting to tear me apart. They've choked. They've been attacked. They feel it, so now they're attacking me. And I was left for dead. There's no one here to help me. Everyone has deserted me. I have no more friends. And most importantly, the first verse, the thing that stands in front of him the most, he says, my God, my Father, has abandoned me and deserted me. He has rejected me. That's Jesus on the cross. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Jesus did that to become both the justifier and the judge. He, you know, he, be, he came to be the justifier because of his love and the judge because he's just. He couldn't let go of one part of his character to fulfill the other part. He had to be both. And the only way he to do that, he said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. He says, I am the way. Jesus had to pay the penalty himself. That's the only way that he could be just. And yet because of his love, he did it for you. He did it for you. He gladly did it for you. When you see that, you start to see his beauty. That's when you start to see his beauty. Jesus embraces justice. He is the ultimate judge. He embraces justice. That's why he couldn't just let sin go. Have you ever been wronged in a bad way in your life, a big way? You can't just let it go. You know that even if you tried, even if it was some petty way, you know, some petty forgiveness, it still sticks with you. You can't just let it go. Jesus couldn't just let sin go because he embraces justice. Somebody has to pay, but at the same time, he, you know, he embraces us. He embraces you out of his love because he couldn't just let you go. That's his love. That's what makes him beautiful. When you see that, Knowing this, trusting that Jesus did that for you, that's going to help you to turn from a pig to a person. Everyone here in this room is either free or trapped. And when you're trapped, that means your instincts are all that you've got. Your instincts are all that you've got. You're driven, your appetite, you're living according to your appetite. In the, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, their God is their stomach. They're driven by their appetites, they say. That's what drives you. That's what moves you. If you see beauty, if you see the true beauty, 
that Christ is more than just about, it's no longer about usefulness. It's going to smash through all of your religious grades. It's going to smash through all of them. Jesus is no longer about what, what is useful in my life. It's going to smash through everything that's driving you, the root, the foundation of everything that's, that's your need to be perfect. It's going to smash through all of that. Jesus then becomes the pearl in our lives. He becomes the pearl. He becomes the pearl of great price. That's how it begins, really. That's the second point. The last point, very, very quickly. How does that shape us? You see the condition. You see the cure. That's what shapes us on the inside. That's what changes us on the inside. But Jesus says, now if you go back to verses 1 to 5, it makes a lot more sense. The deeper the gospel is planted, it's going to shape you on the outside. If all you see is the beauty of Christ, if that's what you see when you look at Jesus, if you say that's all I need, what's the purpose of this parable? Jesus is talking to his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is basically a series of teachings by which Jesus is showing us, demonstrating for us, this is what it looks like when you become a Christian. This is what it looks like when you follow me. This is what it means to be a disciple. That's the Sermon on the Mount. It's a series of teachings. Now, if you just follow those teachings by themselves, you're going to fail, you're going to get depressed, you're going to resent, you're going to choke. So only when you see the beauty of Christ, in essence, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saying, if you recognize the true beauty that is Jesus, let that shape you on the inside, then everything you do on the outside becomes a joy. Then you will resolve to do these things. How do you do that? Well, very quick things. One, you don't push the gospel on people who aren't ready to hear it, who can't digest it. That's what he's saying, what he's saying. You don't, you know, you don't throw pearls to pigs. Don't judge them. Don't, don't condemn them. If they're not ready to hear it, you don't push it on them. You know, but you're friends with them. You demonstrate love to them. You're genuinely friends. Have you ever genuinely been a friend to somebody? You know, then you know that they're going to make mistakes. Parents, very, very easy because you have children. They're going to make mistakes. But does it change the way you love them? Is it a fake love, something that you've conjured up just to show them Christ-like character? That's going to make you resentful. That's going to make you bitter. Jesus says only if you see the majestic beauty of Christ on the inside, it will shape your love for other people in a way that you won't judge them, you will love them, but you will only share the gospel with them when you know and when you see that, they're, that they can digest it. And uh, that's, the only way you'll know that is if you walk with them. You don't push truth that's too quick, not sensitive. You don't press. Uh, you know, you have to be discerning of each, per- each person's place, where they are. You don't be judgmental, you know. Um, that's what he's saying, basically. You know, people are, are hostile. Today in our world, people are hostile to Christianity because the truth over the course of years has been pushed onto them. You know, we're pigs. We're hungry. We need a shepherd. You have to create a context of grace, a context of safety, so that people can see the beauty of Christ. I mean, is that how you came to see Christ? Because someone took you, jammed your mouth open, and they shoved the gospel down your throat, and you said, wow, that's really beautiful. Is that what you saw? That's not how it works. It takes people who walk with you, people who are able to walk with you and demonstrate grace. And when they see that it's the right time, they bring truth. Now, how do you share truth? You share truth with tears. You share truth and tears. In verse 1 to 5, he says, don't condemn them. Don't judge them. In other words, be kind to them. Be humble. Be respectful. 
Be respectful of everyone's place. Don't share truth until you've gotten rid of every ounce of self-righteousness and superiority in your life. Don't be judgmental. But verse 6, judge well. Judge well. Judge and see when they're ready. In John chapter 11, I'm going to kind of close with this. In John chapter 11, you have two women. You know, Lazarus is dead. That's the context. But it's really about these two women, Mary and Martha, or Martha and Mary. You know, they both come to Jesus and say the same thing on different occasions. Martha comes up to Jesus and says, you know, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. And what does she get? Martha always gets it. She gets a teaching. Mary comes to Jesus, falls at his feet, and says, if you were not here, my brother wouldn't have died. You know what she gets? Jesus weeps for her. Jesus weeps. She sees Jesus crying. She sees Jesus rolling over, open the tomb and calling Lazarus out. Mary gets the miracle. Mary gets the tears. Martha gets the teaching. But Jesus knows exactly what they need because he's walked with them. You know how many times in John chapter 11 it says that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? He walked with them. You got to walk with them. If it's your personal agenda, you're either always going to condemn or you're always going to be too sensitive. You're always going to condemn, you're going to be too sensitive. But if the gospel shapes you, you're going to be bold on one hand because you know that God died for you. Their love, their rejection is not what you fear. But on the other hand, you're going to be humble because you know that you were so broken, so bad, so sinful, Jesus had to die for you. You're going to be bold and humble. You've got to get rid. This is the last part. You've got to get rid of the remaining pigginess in your own life. Every one of us, we still have a sense of pigginess in our lives. The next time someone comes to you with truth, you don't bite them. You don't attack them. You don't pounce on them. You don't tear them apart. You know, do you make it safe for people to criticize you? Do you make it safe for that? Or are you devastated? Or are you defensive? Rather, you need to have dialogue. You need to be open. Jesus tells this parable in the book of Luke. And he says, you know, once upon a time there was this man. He had everything and he squandered it all. And he smelled like a pig, and he's walking back, that walk of shame, back to his house. And what does the father do? The father embraces him. His father sees him and embraces him. He says, that's us. You know, don't bite the father, even though sometimes he comes to us with truth. Don't trample on him. Feel his embrace. That's what he says. And if you're, you know, if you're questioning whether or not you're a Christian, you know, if you've been questioning whether or not you're a Christian, if you're in that place where you're doing that, or, you know, if you're saying, you know, I now see what Donnie is saying here, and I don't want to be a pig anymore, you know, I've never really given myself wholly to God before, but I'm starting to see the pearl now. I'm starting to see the beauty that is Jesus now. Then take the time now in our response as we sing, savor what you see. Just enjoy. Just savor what you see. And, and savor what you see and say, man, he is worth giving everything for. That's repentance. Saying, Jesus, I just want to give everything to you. That's repentance. That's faith. You know, you can't muster that up on your own. If that's the way you feel, then that means God is already working actively in your life. You need to talk about that. You need to share that. Talk to me. Talk to somebody around you about that. You know, and start the walk. Start the journey. 
all of us here today, will you taste and savor the richness and the fullness and the beauty that is Jesus? Will you do that this week? Let that shape you on the inside. It's going to shape and change everything then on the outside. Let's pray.